and you're not in the room and you're out in our lobby, just come on in, make your way in. This is where it's, uh, it's all going to happen this morning, where we get to, to praise the Lord together. Uh, it is good to be in this place to worship God, uh, what we call it corporately, which means together, right? Because throughout the week, we're worshiping God um, you know, on our own. We get together with some friends, but there is something very unique and special that happens uh, on a Sunday morning when we gather uh, just like the ancient church did on the first day of the week in the morning to remember and to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ because he rose on the third day. And so today we celebrate a risen Savior who is in our hearts today. Uh, and so we have the great privilege and opportunity to sing songs of worship, but it's not the only way that we worship here at Trinity. We get to worship God through opening his word together and through fellowship and prayer and uh, by serving one another. And so we're going to do all that together in our time this morning. 
And so what I'd like to do is just ask you to pray with me. I'm going to pray us into a time of worship through music. Uh, and then I'll, uh, after we pray, we'll stand and we will worship the Lord through song together. Father, we are very grateful that you woke us up today. And Lord, we are in this place not by accident, but because you called us to be. And we have committed to spend this time together. Lord, wherever we may be in our journey with you, uh, new in believing and having faith in Jesus Christ as Savior, or having been following you for decades, Lord, or any place in between, we know that you have a plan and a purpose for our lives and for us this morning. But God, we have desired to be here together to worship you, to give you all the praise and the honor and the glory that is due your name. Lord, we have not come here to receive, but to give. But yet, Lord, we know in our giving and in our surrender, in our worship, you will bless, because that's the kind of good Father that you are. So, Lord, we want to honor you now with our lips. We want to join our hearts and voices together as one, and to do so saying thank you. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your son, Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. Would you stand with us then and we'll sing of that wonderful deep love that our Father has for us. How deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure. That he should give his only son To make a wretch's treasure How great the pain of searing loss The father turns his face away As wounds which father chose Why should I gain? 
starting in verse 12 says put on then as God's chosen ones holy and beloved compassionate hearts kindness humility meekness and patience and above all these put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful let the word of Christ dwell richly in you teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Oh, my 
sing it again, my dad. Now my dad is pain. It is painful by the precious blood that my Jesus filled. Now the brokenness lord and you paid our debt you took our place jesus we thank you we thank you for this love that's a love like we've never known before father we thank you that your love is perfect for us that your love is relentless for us lord help us to live and walk in that love lord would you just continue to have your peace holy spirit would just guard our hearts and our minds in christ jesus today Lord, that we would be one, we would be one body as we sing, as we worship. Father, as we sing the songs back to you that you sing over us. Lord, we just thank you for who you are. We thank you for the gift that it is to gather, the gift that it is to, to, to sing your name and know that you hear and that you listen. 
and that you delight in the praises of your people. So we thank you, Father. We thank you for this day. We thank you for just the gift that it is to to be your children, to be wholly set apart for you. We love you, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Hallelujah. Take a moment to say good morning, to say good morning to the people around you. Yes. All right, let's uh, find our way back to our seats. Amen. Yes, uh, and this is also our time, if they haven't done so already, that our, our young ones, our next generation of, of uh, Trinity leaders and worshipers are making their way down the hall. And so we always want to pray for them, for our young ones and for their teachers and those that commit to spend time with them as they have their time of worship uh, through song and uh, their time of worship through the word. They get to have a time of worship through snack, and I don't know, we don't get to do that here, but that's okay. But we get to have that early, and so make sure um, you uh, take advantage of that opportunity every Sunday morning at 9.45. We have coffee fellowship. There's always coffee and some kind of little breakfast treat, and so if you'd like to have an extended time of fellowship and catch up with people that you haven't seen all week, then uh, feel free to come at 9.45, and then we begin our service at 1030 with our worship. And so before we dive into God's Word, we're still in the book of Colossians, and we'll get there in just a minute. It's going to be one verse today. We're going to kind of double back to one verse we looked at last week. It was part of a larger passage. Today it's Colossians 2.14. So you can start to, to look in your, in your Bibles, in your Bible app, Colossians 2.14. Uh, but before we get there and unpack that together this morning, just a, a few quick announcements in church life. Just want to remind you that um, we have the annual women's ministry Christmas party that's coming up. So ladies, that's December 2nd. believe that's a Thursday evening at Paula Miller's house. All the information is on our website. So did I say Paula? Okay. We have a, a lot of Millers here in church. So, Paul, I guess it's at your house, so. Yes, yeah, good. That's right, now she's not even Paula Miller. Let's start again, shall we pray? No, it's okay. Sally and Ken Miller have graciously agreed to open their house 
right? So if you go to the Miller slash Bullock's house, they will not be there. Um, so Sally Miller's house, but again, all the info is on the website, trinityallenwood.com. Uh, and again, it is December 2nd, so ladies need to sign up for that so they know how many people are coming. Uh, and there's a, a gift that you'll bring, I think a $10 gift for exchange, but um, the women's ministry loves to do this every year, and so it is that time to start planning that. It's just a few weeks away, so make sure you make a note of that, ladies, and sign up. It'd be great to, uh, to have you come out and join them. Uh, as we've been saying, uh, next um, week, next Saturday, actually, is the, the, uh, the coat drive we're helping out with, so there may be some space left to volunteer. I don't know if there is. Yep. And so you just have to go to their website, the Jersey Shore Rescue Mission, uh, and um, sign up there. But while we also sent out an email, and it's on our website. There's a specific email you send it to, to the coordinator at the mission, and let them know that you want to help. It's next Saturday morning from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. So it would be great to see uh, many people out to help with that. Um, this is, uh, I believe, the last Sunday that we can sign up for the angel tree. I don't know if Angela is here yet, but uh, she may be down the hall with the kids. Uh, but if you haven't signed up yet, there is a sign up right out in the lobby. Uh, and this is our great ministry. We do this this time every year where we, we sign up to, uh, to purchase gifts and then to deliver gifts to children who have a parent who is incarcerated. And so it's a wonderful ministry of uh, Debbie Carver. She's one of our ministry partners and bringing the gospel to, uh, to people in prison. And so this would be the last chance that you have to sign up for that. Uh, just as a reminder, too, we have our children's Christmas program. It's going to be part of the December 19th Sunday morning service, so they will be a part of it. And they've been preparing every Wednesday. The kids have been gathering here on Wednesday nights to rehearse. And so if your child or grandchildren uh, or grandchild hasn't uh, been a part of that yet, um, just make sure you come out on Wednesday night at 6.30, and they've been rehearsing, and so it'll be a great blessing as part of our Christmas season to have them uh, join us and, and lead us in a very special presentation that morning, December 19th, so make sure you don't miss that Sunday morning service. All right, uh, I think I just have a couple of more announcements, right? So Thanksgiving Eve service, again, that's the Wednesday night before Thanksgiving, and so it's a wonderful time. Of, um, of worship, but really of just praising God. And so we're able that night to just um, share words of testimony. So it's really a time for all of us together. There's no kind of sermon, but there's uh, just a time of sharing, sharing what God has put on your heart. You share a story or two of, of what uh, the Lord Jesus has done in your life this past year and what you are thankful for. And then we end our time uh, gathered around the tables in some great pie and coffee because we can be thankful for pie and coffee, right, can't we? And so we end our night continuing our thankfulness and so you can kind of get a jump start on the next day's festivities of eating, right? So that is Thanksgiving Eve. All right, and then I, uh, I believe that's it for this morning and so for our announcements. And so we're going to now uh, look at God's word. I want to pray us into this. And um, this is just uh, one verse we're going to look at. It's a verse that we talked about last week. Uh, but um, it's, I, I did, we weren't able to give it enough time and tension and focus. And so this morning from Colossians 2.14, we will look at the cross of Christ. Let's pray. Father, as we open your word, we want to be reverent to you. We want to do so with all um, desire for wisdom and uh, for faith that you will work in us through your spirit 
to illuminate the truth of your word, that we would see it a little more clearly, and that we would be transformed by it, as you tell us in your word. And God, we look forward to what it is that you're going to teach us this morning. But God, have your way with us, and again, through the ministry of your Holy Spirit in each and every believer here. God, show us your truth, and may we always be willing to stand on that truth. And we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life. Amen. You know, at the heart of the city of London is a neighborhood called Charing Cross. And it's got a long history. It goes back centuries. And it's at the heart of the city of London, an ancient city itself. And this neighborhood called Charing Cross is unique because it is the meeting point of about five or six different major roads that have developed over the centuries. But a long time ago, there was a a king who put up a cross there And he did so in memory of his late wife. And it then became known as Charing Cross. The area was called Charing. And so today it's a bustling area. There's many businesses and and traffic lights and, and cars going through it. But it is still known as Charing Cross. And what's interesting is that today it is still used among people in London as uh, the center point, as the point by which they measure how far away they are from anything else. And so it has become even a point of measurement over the centuries to say, where am I? You say, how far am I from Charing Cross? And so there was one time a a child, a young boy who became lost in the middle of London. And a city police officer came to the child's aid to try to help him return to his family who had obviously been searching frantically for him. So the officer asked the young child a bunch of different questions to try to figure out where he might belong and to whom he belongs. And he wanted to to discover specifically where the boy lives so he could return him home. But none of the questions seemed to get him anywhere. So finally, with tears streaming down the boy's face, he said, If you will just take me to the cross, I can find my way home from there. What an apt description of the Christian life. For the cross is both the starting place of our new life in Christ, but also the place to which we must return time and again to keep our bearings on this side of heaven. So this morning, we will return to the cross so we can keep our bearings, to remind ourselves of the starting place of our new life in Jesus Christ. See, last week, we looked at symbolism. We looked at the passage just before this, and and it, it included symbolism in the Christian life. Symbolism is very powerful in the Bible, and We talked about the symbolism of circumcision and how it was meant for the people of Israel long ago in the Old Testament and how it was a sign that they belonged to their God. But then in the New Testament, in the New Covenant, in Jesus' blood, we have the symbolism of baptism. And if you were here, we got to witness the baptism of a dear brother and how important and exciting that is in the life of our church. But we also took communion together, another strong symbol of our connection 
to the Lord Jesus, the bread and the cup symbolizing his body and his blood. And we ended our time last week around the table of fellowship and food and what a great symbolism that we are the body and family of Jesus Christ together, amen? So last week was full of great symbolism and it gives us a good visual. But there was one symbol that came up in last week's scripture passage that I did touch on, but we would remiss if we would be remiss if we didn't go back to it, and that is the cross. Because the cross was a focal point of what we talked about last week. So here's what it says, and I put just the verse up there, but it's also going to be, um, I think it should be up there for us, and um, uh, if you can just advance that for me, I appreciate it. What it says in Colossians 2, 14, but what I'll do is I'll give you the 13 and then the 14. It says, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, and then here's our verse for today, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Do you see why I wanted to go back to that verse today? It says it was nailed to the cross. As a symbol, the cross literally symbolizes death. But Christ, hallelujah, changed that meaning. He changed it upside down like he did with everything else that he taught when he came to this world. See, to us as followers, the cross not only means death, but it also now means life. Consider the words of Philip Rhinelander in his great book, The, the Faith of the Cross. Listen to what he says about the disciples and the cross of their Christ. He says, if ever mortal men found a real hero on this earth, those men were the disciples. They indeed were hero worshipers. Then think of the horrid shock and shame which overwhelmed them at the cross. It was no splendid martyrdom for a great cause, no glorious conquest won at the cost of life, no epic to be sung and celebrated. No, the cross was simply an utter overthrow. It was a speechless failure. It was all sordid, cruel, criminal, a gross injustice, an intolerable defeat of good by evil, of God by devils. Jesus, their hero, their chosen leader, was now numbered with the transgressors. He was cast out with a curse upon him. Think about how their loyalty should have burned to right this wrong, to clear his memory, to save his reputation, to prove that gross outrage and injustice had been done to him, to magnify Jesus' life so that the death could be forgotten. But nothing of the kind seems to have occurred to the disciples. They literally glory in the cross. They are clear with an absolute conviction that the best and most wonderful thing Jesus ever did 
was to die a felon's death between two thieves. It was their hero's greatest act of heroism that he was executed as a common criminal on a cross. You see the difference that the cross makes in the life of a disciple of Jesus Christ. It was in ancient times a symbol of death. It was used as the worst form of torture that there was. We really don't have much evidence of it um, in historical uh, fact and records before the Romans came on the scene. But isn't it just like God to orchestrate everything that he would bring Jesus into the world during the time of the Roman occupation and the Roman Empire when they instituted full-scale crucifixion by death on a cross? It's been said that the cross is the intersection of law and grace. There's a cross up there on the wall behind me. We have one out on, uh, a large one outside. It's actually just out there on the other side of that wall for all the people to see. We have crosses. We might wear them around our necks. We might have them tattooed on our arms. We see crosses all the time. But in a way, it's true, isn't it, that the cross being an intersection of two pieces of, of wood or material in, a, in many ways can be called the intersection of law and grace. Because by God's law, see, we are condemned. Scripture says the law condemns every human soul. We are guilty of the crime of disobedience against God. The Bible calls that sin. You see, the law of God demands perfection. Do you know that? The law requires perfect obedience to obtain salvation, but we're told in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. So what are we to do? See, the law demands perfection from imperfect human beings. That's you and that's me. No one can keep the requirement of God's standard, which is perfect holiness. The law is a certificate of debt, our scripture says, <clears throat> of debt that each of us owes to God, but yet none of us can repay. You know, I remember the first speeding ticket I ever got. Notice I didn't say my only speeding ticket, but my very first speeding ticket. And for some of us, it's like a rite of passage, right? We don't mean to do it, but it happens I was in high school, I was going to visit a friend, and it was at night, and evidently, I was doing 40 in a 25. But just stop there for a second, I mean, by the way, who goes 25 in a 25 mile an hour zone? Have you ever tried that? It's like literally impossible. You feel like you're going backwards, don't you? But I mean, look, the officer was nice enough, and he told me I was speeding, and I agreed, even though I, I totally was not. And he handed me a ticket. And he handed me a ticket. And there's a lot of words on this ticket, and there was a number. And at the time, it looked like a gigantic number. It said $60. Now, this is a long time ago, because tickets are a lot more expensive these days. $60. I stared at the ticket. <clears throat> I remember I had a lot... <clears throat> 
a lot of things racing through my mind at that moment. The first time I ever got stopped and I got a ticket. And again, the officer was very nice, but he left the car and, and, and drove away. And I was just sitting there on the side of the road staring at this ticket. It had a lot of important legal sounding words on it, which made it sound like I was on my way to Alcatraz. It's really the way that I was taking it, right? I had a ticket. I felt like Jean Valjean. You know who that is? I mean, if you don't, just go watch the movie Les, Les Mis. Actually, don't, don't watch the one with Russell Crowe. Read the book. It's much better. But he, th- this main character in Les Mis, he, he got a life sentence for stealing a loaf of bread, and I felt like $60. There was all this fine print and everything I was supposed to read, but here's the thing, church. The ticket not only told me that I was guilty, but that there was a price to pay for breaking the law. See, there was a lot of words, a lot of legal words on there that said that I was guilty of breaking the law, but there was also a big number because I had a debt to pay. The verse in our passage says, Jesus, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with all of its legal demands, this he set aside. He nailed it to the cross. I had a ticket in my hand with all kinds of legal demands and a debt that stood against me. A debt I could not pay. I could not meet those demands myself. I couldn't even pay the $60. Dad, thank you. I appreciate that. I probably still owe him $60. But on the cross of Christ, our Lord set aside all of the legal demands of the law, which demands perfection. He set it aside, canceling that debt and nailing it to the cross. It was nailed to the cross. What do you picture When you hear that phrase, nailed to the cross, picture the body of our Lord Jesus Christ literally nailed to the cross. His actual body in my place. It was my ticket, my debt to the law that he nailed to the cross. Jesus said to his followers in Luke 9, 23 to 24. He said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for my sake will save it. That's from Luke chapter 9. Again, it says, whoever wants to be my disciple, let's stay here for just a moment before we conclude our thoughts today. Jesus says this to his disciples. He says, if you want to follow me, right? We we talk often here at at Trinity about discipleship. Uh, Usually I'll open our service by showing a slide, and it talks about three words, learn and grow and serve. It's how we pursue being this kind of disciple. We learn the truth, we grow in our faith, and then we serve. We have many ways here at Trinity to do that, right? To learn, we go to Bible study, we 
We have Bible studies Tuesday mornings. We do on Wednesday night. We dig deeper into God's word. We open God's word on a Sunday morning. We do it ourselves in our daily devotions. And, and we learn the truth of this law. We learn the truth of God's grace through Jesus Christ. And we learn all about it. But then we take that knowledge and we are then to grow. See, it's now good if we are just hearers of the word, as James says, but then doers. So as we grow and we let the word and the truth change us and transform us, it says in Romans 12, no longer be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of what? Of your mind, right? That word transforming means a continual process. So we are to be continually transformed of our mind so that our hearts are changed as well and we then grow. See, so often the Apostle Paul and Jesus himself talks of his followers, and Paul calls us the church, the body of Jesus Christ here on earth, that we are to be growing. Growing just like a human body. See, at the moment of salvation, we're like a newborn baby, and, and the baby just wants the milk, and it's okay, you're just learning, and you're just beginning to grow. But as you grow older, you don't just stick with the milk, you start to eat solid food, and you start to eat the, the, the meat and the chicken and the, the mashed potatoes and all those things, right? And, and you start to eat the solid food. It helps you to grow, and so we know what that process is like, and, and the Bible talks all throughout, from Genesis to Revelation, this idea of growing, growing closer to God, getting to know him more, so we become more like Jesus and so Jesus says then, if you want to be my disciples, here's what you are to do. But see, we don't only just learn and grow, but we also serve. When I say serve, there's many ways to serve at Trinity too. We go and we serve, and next Saturday, there's a bunch of people going to serve at the Coat Drive at the Jersey Shore Rescue Mission, serving those who are struggling with homelessness and severe poverty. In January, the missions team is going down to Delaware to serve people as well. We have lots of opportunities to serve. You can serve by using your gifts here at church and teaching uh, the kids, helping out with audiovisual. I mean, um, you know, we have the women's ministry, the men's ministry, we have a prayer ministry. We have all kinds of opportunities to get involved and use those gifts God has given you to serve. Because we learn, we grow, and we serve. And so Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he says, look, if you want to be one of my disciples, if you want to follow me, see, they were believers. They believed in him for salvation. Now he says, now if you want to follow me, here is what you are to do. You must deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow me. And Luke's version says daily the reason that I chose that one. The other Gospels don't always say that. But in Luke's version, it says that, that Jesus said, if whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. Let's stay there for just a second. What does it mean to deny ourselves? What does it mean when we deny ourselves? Just think of some practical ways that we do that. Sometimes we might fast. Have you ever fasted before? Sometimes you might fast for physical reasons, and maybe you've been sick, or you need to fast to lose weight, but there's a real spiritual element to it. And the Bible teaches us that it's good to fast because we're setting aside, denying ourselves even the most basic 
uh, of things we do as humans and eat, these things that we, uh, we need to do, we lay it aside for a time to do what? To bring our focus and attention on the Lord Jesus. So that if you've ever fasted, you know you start getting those hunger pains and it reminds you what you're doing and why and that it brings your focus and attention to the Lord Jesus. We fast. How else do we deny ourselves? How else can we give up some of our time for others? Some of that time that we might want to use for our own comfort and entertainment and convenience and pleasure and set it aside to help someone else. To bless someone. See, Jesus said the greatest commandment is to love God and to love others. Neither of those two says love yourself. You know, we are to accept God's grace, but our focus is to be other-centered. God and other people. We are to take the focus off of ourselves and the focus on others. Maybe it looks like forgiving those who persecute you. Maybe it looks like turning the other cheek as Jesus taught us to do. When Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, you must deny yourself. What does he mean? He means put to death those things that you were formerly. Put to death your own selfish desires and do what I want you to do. Jesus says, you want to be my disciple, which means follower. It means learner, the word disciple. He says, deny yourself. Boy, that's hard. Sometimes we can't even get past that. Maybe it looks like getting out of your warm bed in the middle of winter when it's still dark and cold in your room and you start your day in word and in prayer before you even get to work. Sometimes it means denying a little bit of comfort and convenience and pleasure to do what we know is right. So Jesus says, deny ourselves. It simply means this. He's saying the cross is a symbol of death. So he says, it is death to self. It's about putting your pride aside, surrendering your will to God's will, and to do it each day. Because he says, take up your cross daily. The cross is a symbol of death. It's death to self. Jesus is saying in this context. But he says not to do it once every Sunday morning for an hour or so. He says to do it daily. Sometimes we realize it has to be moment to moment. See, denying ourselves and taking up our cross is a daily occurrence. It's an every moment thing. We do it consistently and constantly. But he says, take up your cross. Now, let's stop for a second. Sometimes we use that phrase, you know, I'm bearing my cross or I'm carrying my cross. We use it too flippantly sometimes, don't we? Like we use it for those minor annoyances in life, you know, like the kids aren't listening and not getting their homework done. You're like, I'm bearing my cross. It's really not what Jesus meant. doesn't mean that it's not difficult. It's not what Jesus meant when he said we are to take up our cross or bear our crosses daily. Why? Because what was the symbolism of the cross? It meant sacrifice, didn't it? It meant complete sacrifice. See, Jesus didn't just crucify some of himself on the cross. 
He didn't just nail some of our sins to the cross. He gave him whole self. He gave his whole self and all of our sin and guilt and shame, the entire debt. When I had to pay that $60 ticket, I didn't go before the judge and just say, I'm just going to pay 40 and we'll call it even. I don't think that would have worked too well. It was the whole debt that Jesus nailed to the cross as he was being nailed, his hands and his feet. So we deny ourselves, it's death to self. It's taking up our cross daily and all that it represents, sacrifice, But then he says, and follow me. You think about that for a second. When Jesus says, follow me, usually we say, if somebody wants you to follow them, you know they're going somewhere, right? They're heading in a direction. Where was Jesus going? To the cross of Calvary. Jesus knew what was going to happen. The disciples weren't so sure yet. They didn't have the full picture, see, but he was headed to Calvary. So when Jesus says, deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow me, he was looking for disciples that would follow him all the way to the cross. Jesus was saying, you want to be like me? You want to follow me? You want to be my children? You want to be my hands and feet in this world? Then it's going to cost you a complete surrender. See, isn't it beautiful, though, and this is an important distinction, that salvation cost us nothing. We say an amen to that? Because that's grace. When the cross is the intersection of law and grace, we see the law demands perfection. A perfect and holy God demands perfect holiness from his creation, but we cannot do that on our own. So God graciously did it all for us. Grace covers that law. And see, God did it all for us in his son, Jesus Christ. And so therefore, we cannot do it on our own. We cannot earn salvation on our own. And so all we do is accept the free gift of salvation by faith, by trust. The Bible says by believing. Believing that Jesus is who he says he is, God himself, and did what he said he was going to do, die on the cross Come back to life three days later. When we believe, we believe it to be true, and we place our trust in him for our eternal salvation. See, we don't do anything to earn it. It's all by God's grace. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For we are saved by grace through faith, not of ourselves, right? It's only through Christ. So all we do is reach out and accept it as a gift, like a Christmas gift, all those gifts you're starting to buy for your loved ones, right? You receive it like a gift. But then Jesus says, if you want to actually follow me, you want to be a disciple, a follower of me, and you want to be like me, then here's what you have to do. Because these three things, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me, those are not conditions for salvation, Our position in Christ, our condition, our position is made justified by faith. Just the one condition for salvation is believing. But see, that's easy for us. It didn't cost us anything. We just believe, but it cost Jesus everything. 
because he surrendered it all to the cross. We sang before, Jesus paid it all. We didn't sing, Jesus paid most of it. Jesus paid it all. He did it. His disciple and to be his follower, Jesus says, that's going to be hard. That's going to take sacrifice and self-denial. That's going to take setting aside some of your pleasures and, and your convenience and your comfort to follow me. He also says elsewhere, the world is not going to like it. He actually uses the word hate. He says, the world's going to hate you because they hated me. In John 17, when Jesus prayed this great high priestly prayer to God, he said, Father, I pray that they are one, meaning us, as you and I are one. He says, Father, I don't want you to take them out of the world, but be with them in the world, see, and to protect us. That's our great shepherd protecting us as his sheep. And so we know in this world we will have tribulation, Jesus said. You will have trouble, but Jesus said, take heart, for I have overcome the world, right? And that's where we place our hope and our trust. And so discipleship is hard because who likes to, to sacrifice, I mean, who likes to discipline themselves and deny yourself comfort and entertainment and convenience, especially if it means to help someone else? But as we grow and we walk with him, it becomes a little bit more, a little bit more like who we are, become more like Christ. We do it more often. We do it more willingly and with thanksgiving. But see, that comes with maturity, and that comes as we grow in him. A few final thoughts. See, in God's economy, in the way of Jesus, on the path of a disciple, death to self means life in Christ. The cross, yes, is a symbol of death, but it's so much more. It's also the symbol of life and of new life We cannot meet the perfect demands of our perfect God's perfect law on our own, but by God's perfect grace, we are forgiven and set free. Amen? Isaiah 53 says these words. This is Isaiah, a prophet from the Old Testament. Isaiah 53, 4 to 6 a prophecy of the coming Messiah, who we know to be Jesus. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Paul said it was all nailed to the cross because Jesus set it aside. That Jesus set it all aside so we are no longer found guilty before a holy and righteous God. But it says there in Isaiah that we have all gone astray. For all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. 
And it says each one of us has turned to our own way. So in belief, when we receive the gift of salvation, Jesus then says, you want to be my disciple, turn from your own way and follow me on my way. It's the path of Jesus, not the path of self. There couldn't be anything more different. Would you stand with me? I want to read this this last verse together as we stand as a church. And here's what it says. There's one more verse that I want to share with you. It's from Galatians 2.20. Galatians 2.20 says this. It says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Church, I'm going to read it one more time, and we'll close in prayer. Actually, would you close your eyes and just listen to me read this verse from Galatians 2.20. This is the Apostle Paul saying this about himself. And think of these words of the Apostle Paul in light of our look at the cross this morning. Him would never die, but have life everlasting. Thank you for that wonderful truth, that truth that has shown us the way of salvation. But Father, for those of us as believers in the Lord Jesus, for that gift of salvation, we desire to be your disciples. And Lord Jesus, we know it won't be easy. This world will be against us. We will be against ourselves in our sinful flesh and desires. But Lord, grant us the strength. Please bless us with that courage, with that endurance and that willingness to set aside our own selfish will and desires to deny ourselves, to take up our cross daily, and to not follow ourselves, to not follow the way of the world, but to follow you. Father, help us to do that, please. It is our heart's desire, God, but often as we say the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, God, we want to be strong. We want to be strong in you, and as we walk with you, Lord God, Show us the way each day. Build in us that strength, Father God, that we may continue to be a witness to the world of the love of Jesus Christ and point them to that wonderful intersection of law and grace on the cross of Christ. And we pray in his precious name. Amen. Let's go in peace and go with the joy of the strength of the Lord. Amen.
sound divine This song of ours will rise Oh, how constant, how divine This love of ours will rise Will rise Oh, praise Him Oh, praise Him He is holy He is holy Yeah, turn your gaze to heaven
la 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 la